0: Hi there, friends. In our last session, we began to probe the topic of prayer. And we began by looking at a few prayers in Scripture. And we saw people of God pray. And we saw how God responded. And we saw that God fought a battle for His people in answer to Jehoshaphat's prayer in 2 Chronicles 20. Then in 1 Kings 18, there's the fervent prayer of Elijah on Mount Carmel where God had answered in this miraculous, blazing way. As a result of prayer, God gave Daniel the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter two. Hannah's prayer was answered, giving her a son. Those among many others were powerful prayers prayed by real people who were honest with God who trusted God, who knew God, believed God, and obeyed God. Well, exclusive of the Psalms, which form a prayer book, the Bible records at least 650 definite prayers, and at least 450 of them have recorded answers. So prayer is common. It's a huge theme in the Bible. And so we might look at some of these powerful prayers uh, in Scripture to which God responded with these miraculous answers and think, I can't pray like that. I don't know how to do that. I don't get answers like that. Uh, maybe Maybe God just did those things in the Bible. Some of us may ask, well, is prayer really necessary? Because God is sovereign. And if God is sovereign, isn't he just going to do what he wants to do anyway? Isn't he going to just do what what pleases him regardless? So why do we pray? How do we reconcile praying with the sovereignty of God? Maybe we say, well, I've prayed lots of prayers that have never been answered, so why do it? Uh, Why does it take so long sometimes to get an answer to prayer? Many people just stop praying. Because they think it's meaningless. They, they think they don't know how to do it or they've not gotten any results with it. So just why am I doing this? Then there are those prayers we pray that are more about Christ following me than they are about my following Christ. You know, I, I go to God and, and I give him a list of ways in which he can serve my purposes. And I keep him informed of what he needs to do. And and maybe I pray, you know, to move God to my point of view. Perhaps a good question to ask is what is prayer? What is real, genuine, biblical prayer? Well, simply, prayer is talking to God. It's having conversation with God. And in conversation, I talk, you talk. You talk, I listen. And so that is a prayer relationship. That is a conversation with God. It is a specific thing that we do. And there are all different kinds of prayers in the Bible. There are prayers of adoration, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of confession, prayers of reflection. Uh, there's a place where uh, we quiet ourselves down and just reflect on who God is and what he's doing and maybe what we've seen him do or what we would like for him to to do. The psalmist prayed, On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. I remember hearing my great grandmother talk about being in bed when she couldn't sleep, and she would call it meditating. I just lie there and meditate. I think about the Lord. So you know that's that's what the psalmist is saying. I think of you through the watches of the night where we just focus our minds on the Lord. That's reflective prayer. We know about prayers of healing. We know about prayers of deliverance, prayers for help. We know about prayers of intercession where we pray for someone else. Uh, Then there are prayers of blessing. Prayers of blessing are a powerful way uh, to ask for God's very best to be poured out on behalf of somebody else. I was going to show you Philippians chapter 1. Verses 9 through 11, this is a wonderful prayer of blessing. If you need a pattern or it's great to take scripture prayer like this and just pray the scripture over somebody. But Philippians 1, 9 through 11 says, Paul is praying. He says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's some wonderful blessing prayers in Scripture that we can pray over our loved ones. We often approach prayer as if God is hoarding blessings, and He has got all of these blessings, and our job is to convince him to release them, to just give us some of them. Uh, sometimes we think, well, if I could just say the right words, or maybe if I said the words the right way, or maybe if I said them often enough, or maybe if I said them with enough fervor, then somehow then I might could get God to do what I think he ought to do. And We wonder if we've been effective in our prayer uh, to win God over. Have I convinced God? Have I asked Him enough? Have I believed enough? So that God is impressed and He will release whatever it is I'm asking for. What I want us to understand is prayer is so much more than that. Prayer is so much more than That kind of praying, even though that that kind of praying is okay, but we're going to add some to that. Prayer is so much more than just the words we speak between dear God and amen. So I want us to think for a few minutes about what prayer is. What is it really? What are we looking for here? Was there ever a time when there was uh, a particular person that you just wanted to be with, that you just wanted to... Be in their presence. You just wanted to spend time with them. Well, part of prayer is adoring God. It is adoring God and admiring Him and being fascinated with Him and just enjoying being in His presence. We limit the power of prayer when we think of it only as a means by which we can just give God a list of things we want or a list of things that uh, we think. He needs to do or that we want Him to do. So the pursuit of prayer is to encounter God Almighty, to be in that relationship, to hear His voice, to find that He is the true desire of our hearts. Prayer is living in the continued flow of God's power. And in that continued flow of God's presence and provisions. It's setting my mind as in in an awareness of his presence with me and what he's doing for us moment by moment. The Jesus that dwells within the heart of every believer is continuous present tense. The Jesus who lives within the heart of every believer is always present tense. And as a believer... He has taken up residence in you, in me, as we have come to Christ for salvation, acknowledging who he is. And he takes up residence, and that is permanent residence. He doesn't come and go. He doesn't come and go. In the Old Testament, uh, King David prayed, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. In the, Holy, in, the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit moved about at God's bidding. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is in us. He doesn't come and go. He's not taken away. Now, our fellowship with Him may change because of our sin, but He's there. And the person of Jesus in the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and His love is relentless. His love is relentless. And we probably ought to meditate on that more than we do so that we can begin to grasp just how much God loves us, Jesus loves us, Holy Spirit loves us, because they're all the same. So prayer, genuine prayer, is opening our lives to God and acknowledging our total dependence on Him. It is acknowledging our total dependence on Him. It is walking in his presence, it is relationship oriented instead of list oriented. We are workers together with God. That deserves a lot of thinking time, um, maybe study time, that we are workers together with God. Prayer is what can bring God's power to earth to make a change. Prayer is the conduit that God has chosen. Prayer sets God's will in motion on earth. So we learn to let him pour his desires in our hearts so that his desires become our desires. And we want what he wants. And and we make his desires our desires, His, his plans our plans. And so we begin to work with him. And what that is is communion. It is relationship and that's the essence of a prayer life. Well, <clears throat> one of the things that we need to try to grasp is that God desires to commune with us. Think about for that, that for a minute. Um, sometimes we see prayer as an obligation. We see it as a responsibility. We see it as an opportunity so that sometimes with God, we kind of do all the talking. And, um, When young children in our lives maybe come to us and want to talk a lot, we're delighted, aren't we? And we take that. But there's a time when they need to listen to us. And so we need to try to grasp the fact that God really wants to commune with us, to fellowship with us, to guide us in what we're doing. He wants to be a part. He wants to be in control of our lives so that he can love us and protect us and give us things we wouldn't otherwise have. But I just find it fascinating. Do you find it fascinating that God's plan for the ages includes that He would partner with His children? His plan is partnership with His children. We are God's family. Uh, a lot of people say that when God created man, He wanted family, and He did. He wanted fellowship, He wanted relationship. And so, The bottom line is we, God's people, are what God has chosen to use in the world. God has chosen to use you, a person, a believer. He's chosen to use me, a person, a believer. There is a place for us. He has a plan for us. He has a way that he is wanting to use us in his overall plan of redemption as he moves and works in the world. We're God's family. And 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 to understand, please grasp to begin with, he wants you. He wants to work with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to fellowship with you. He has chosen for whatever reason when we get to heaven, we can ask him, he has chosen to use his people. He has chosen to work through his people in the world. Why would he do that? I don't know. God can do anything he wants to do any way he wants to do it, any time he wants to. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's all sovereign. He's all of those things. But God has chosen to work through his people. And so understand we are in this decade and in this time of history, we are The voice of Christ, we are the hands of Christ, and we are the feet of Christ. Because why? Christ is seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father. He has empowered us with the Holy Spirit so we can be his representative on earth. So we are his voice, we are his hands, and we are his feet. And so we are partners with God on a mission in this world. We are a team And God himself is our captain. He's the one who calls the place. He's the one who who directs who's going where, when. And he's tying, he's connecting all of those dots together to cause the world to fit in with his overall plan of redemption. God requires our involvement. And sometimes we don't realize how we cripple God for the lack of a better word when we don't do what he needs for us to do. When we can call a halt to the plans, when we can interrupt what his original plan is because he in requires our involvement and one of the main ways he requires our involvement is through our prayer, through praying. And he needs our prayer and he needs our obedience as he works in the world We are a part, we are a meaningful part of what God can do in the world when we pray. When we pray, we are God's plan. This is God's plan, that He would use His people, that He would use His children in the world to represent Christ and attach us. He would empower us by the Holy Spirit and attach us like an artery to His heart through the conduit of prayer. That's the way it works. So he wants our prayer. He wants our obedience. And he is waiting for the church to be the church, for his children to do what he has planned for us to do, to let him use us the way he has planned to use us. So why do we pray? Well, it's easy to make a quick list of why we pray. The first simple answer is, would be, God said so. Did your mom ever tell you that? Did you ever ask your parents, why do I have to do this? And they said, because I said so. Well, that's number one here. God said so. God said pray. But truly, number one is God has commanded us to pray. If we are going to be obedient to God's will, then prayer has got to be a part of our life in Him. It is a part of our fellowship, a part of our relationship with Him. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 says, Pray for those who persecute you. Romans 12, 12, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And everything by prayer and petition or supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Talk with Him. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray continually. King James says, pray without ceasing. What is that? That is a praying life. That is a life that is walking, engaging God in fellowship, engulfed with God and God engulfing our spirits. Number two, Jesus prayed regularly. Now, we're going to look at the prayer life of the Lord Jesus a little bit later. But think about this. If Jesus himself needed to pray as much as he prayed, How do we figure we don't need to do that? Why do we think he needed to do stuff that we don't need to do? Jesus is our standard and our example in everything. So we need to look at his prayer life as our example and see how he prayed and see how our prayer lives line up with that. Number three, prayer is a a way of worshiping and praising the Lord. Um, Prayer is how we confess our sins. It is communicating with Him. Um, Number four, prayer is a way of participating in God's work. Now, I want us to camp out here for just a minute and think about this because I, I find it so intriguing, again, to be reminded God wants to use us. We are His tools uh, we are his workmanship, but we are also the avenue through which he has chosen to confront the world, to confront the enemy um, with all of the things that are going on. So, so prayer is a way of participating in God's work because when I pray, I get before him and I say, what is it that you're thinking today? What is it that you're wanting me to do um, would you order my steps today? Would you let me see, recognize you and what you're doing and everything that I encounter during, during the day? Now, here's the question Does God need my help? No. No. I mean, think about it. It's all sovereign, all powerful, all knowing, all present, everywhere present. And so, prayer is just a way of me participating with him and who he is because he chooses to let us help him. He chooses to need us to help him. That is the way he has chosen to do business in the world. But prayer is a means that God has ordained for something to happen. He wants to use prayer. Well, who does he want to do the praying? You and me, his children. Lost people can pray, but when we're in a relationship with God, think about the model prayer that Jesus gave. How does it begin? Our Father who art in heaven. Well, He needs to be your Father for you to pray, for you to be involved in this prayer relationship program. Uh, So prayer is just the means that God has ordained for things to happen. I can't tell you why. It's His choice. And I think when we don't understand that and realize that, we're missing huge opportunities for God to do great work uh, in our communities, in our churches, in our world. Um, and, And this is something huge for us to understand because I have become convicted by asking the question, is God waiting for us? One of the verses in the New Testament, he says, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, a lot of the time, you ask amiss. You ask for the wrong motive. You ask for the wrong things. You ask for the wrong attitude. So if we want God to really accomplish something in this world, then we need to do some work. I need to do some work on my prayer life. I want to show you something that just stunned and convicted my heart when I saw it. I just, it's just one of those things that just goes, Boing, and I thought, you think, why did I not see this before? The scripture shows us two similar events that had different outcomes. Turn with me, first of all, to Exodus chapter um, 32. <coughs> Exodus chapter 32. This is a sad, sad portion of scripture to me. Um, in the history of the Old Testament, the history of the Jews. But let's begin by reading the first six verses of Exodus chapter 32. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up, From the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And Aaron said to them, Okay, tear off your gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took them from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Mm. Do what? That's where they were swayed, and that's where they are. Verse 5, when Aaron saw this, when he saw this golden calf, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So the next day they arose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Went right on by replacing Almighty God with a golden calf. It's what they wanted. They went their own way. Now, the essence of this is that Israel had made a covenant with God to serve him, but he just wasn't quite as fast. He kept Moses up there too long on the mountain communicating with him. And they weren't happy, so they just did their own thing. And when they did, they broke covenant. And when they broke covenant, they set themselves up for judgment, for God's judgment. Now, turn with me to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 22 This is a story of Judah. This is many years later after the kingdom is divided. And again, Judah is the people of God. Judah is important to God because Judah was the tribe from which Messiah would come. And so this is, this is important. So Ezekiel chapter 22, beginning in verse 23. And the Lord is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. And he says, Ezekiel says, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying son of man say to her to judah you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation there is a conspiracy of her prophets in her midst like a roaring lion fearing tearing like a roaring lion tearing the prey they have devoured lives they have taken treasure and precious things they have made many widows in the midst of her Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the profane. There's a lesson in that, isn't there? They've made no distinction between the holy and the profane. And they have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they hide their eyes from my Sabbaths and I am profaned among them. Her princes within her are like wolves tearing the prey by shedding blood and destroying lives in order to get dishonest gain. And her prophets had smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God when the Lord didn't say that. The people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery, And they have wronged the poor and needy and have oppressed the sojourner without justice. So when God looks at Judah and he sees Judah, his chosen people, whom he plans to use living like that, then they have broken covenant and they are set up for judgment. Now, in both instances, the people had earned God's judgment. In judgment, God allows the natural consequences of sin to just run its course. He just lets, lets it happen. Uh, punishment is inherent in sin. Sin produces bad things. Sin produces Death. Sin produces trouble. Sin produces trial. And so punishment is inherent in sin. And in judgment, God just doesn't intervene in the consequences of the sin. It's like a chain reaction. And so um, there are times in sin when God wants to intervene and show mercy. He wants to interrupt that chain reaction. He will stop the consequences of the sin. And so what we know about the character of God is that he is an all merciful, all loving God. And he wants to show mercy. It's who he is. It's, it's his greatest desire. He spent the whole Bible from old Testament, from creation on Showing mercy, showing mercy, the whole plan of Christ is to show mercy, to have a way to break that chain reaction of sin so that we're not trapped so that it doesn't take us on into eternal death. And so, uh, in judgment, God just does not intervene in the consequences of sin. He just lets it go. He says, "This is the choice you've made. we're going to let this ride. We're going to let this flow on so We know that because God is merciful and He wants to show mercy, He wants to circumvent the consequences of evil. He wants to stop that. But in that, He needs our cooperation. It's His plan. It's His design. He wants to show, it is the heart of God to want to show mercy instead of judgment. But we've got to be in a position to receive that mercy. Well, in these two situations, when God's heart was to show mercy, what did he do? Here's Israel, and God's wanting to show mercy on them, even after they built the golden calf and and had so blatantly broken covenant with God and and were looking forward to um, worshiping the golden calf. Um, And so they went on to eat and drink and play, and everything was fine, and they didn't even notice And so God's heart, because he's a merciful God, he's wanting to show mercy on them instead of destroy them. He doesn't want to judge them. And so let's look at what God did. Let's look at what God did. Go back to Exodus chapter 32, where we left off. And you'll remember verse 6. He says, so the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Verse 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Now Moses is up on the mountain with God, and he said, Moses, go down there at once, for your people, whom you brought up from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Have corrupted themselves. So God is reminding Moses that God has placed these people in Moses' care. Moses is their spiritual leader, their spiritual advisor. Verse 8, God says, They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. What do you suppose that did to God's heart? having brought them out of the land of Egypt, having provided for them, being involved with them, having set up his tabernacle with them, communicating with them, giving them everything that they needed. And they say, "Mm, we're going to give credit for all of that to this golden calf. What do you suppose that did to God's heart? Oh my goodness. Verse nine, and the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me, God, let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And Moses, I will make you a great nation. What a proposition. What a proposition. What would Moses do? And so God tells the people, you know, what they've brought on themselves. He said, You've brought all of this consequence of sin on yourselves, and unless God intervenes, they're going to be destroyed. Well, we see urgency here, and we see that God had placed a a great love for the people in Moses' heart. And what I think this is here, as much as anything, is a test of Moses. What would Moses do? Would Moses say, oh, God, that's a great thing. Just get rid of all of them and, yeah, take me and go make a great people out of me. But Moses had a godly heart. Moses had a heart that was like God's heart. And God had put in Moses' heart to love these people. And so look at verse 11. What did Moses do? Moses entreated the Lord. Moses prayed. He prayed to the Lord his God and said... Oh, Lord, why doth thine anger burn against thine people whom thou hast brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Lord, I know you brought them out with great power and a mighty hand. They have given this golden calf credit for it, but I know you did it. Why should the Egyptians speak? He said, God, you know what the Egyptians are going to say? They're going to say, with evil intent, God brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth. God, you don't want them to think that. That's not what you did. That's not your heart. That's not why you brought them out. Turn from thy burning anger and change thy mind about doing harm from these people. God, you don't want to do that. And what's in Moses' heart here is God's reputation to the Egyptians. God, you don't want to do that. And he says, remember, Abraham and Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou didst swear by thyself and didst say to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all this land which I've spoken I will give to your descendants and they shall
1: inherit it forever. Verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind
0: about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now we don't have time right now to do a word study on that. We see it as the Lord changed his mind. But what is happening here is that he has brought Moses into his own heart. And we have seen Moses reveal the heart of God. And God has used Moses to what? To pray for these people. And when Moses prayed for the people, God withdrew his judgment.
1: Mind you, it's what God wanted to do to start with, because God is a merciful God. Turn now to back to Ezekiel chapter twenty-two. <clears throat> we stopped in verse twenty-nine, where God is revealed to Ezekiel.
0: The people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery, and they have wronged the poor and the needy and have oppressed the sojourner without justice. Verse 30, God is speaking. And I searched for a man among them who should build up a hedge or a wall. That's a a wall of protection. And stand in a gap
1: before me for the land that I should not destroy it. and I found none. So, thus, I have poured out my
0: indignation on them. I have consumed them with fire, the fire of my wrath. Their way I have brought upon their heads. I have let their sin run its course.
1: I did not intervene To stop the judgment. Why? Because he couldn't find anybody to pray. What's the difference in the two similar instances?
0: They have opposite endings. When God looked for somebody to pray
1: for Israel, to intercede for Israel, he found Moses. and he circumvented the judgment that he had
0: every right to bring on them as they they had broken covenant.
1: But when God looked for somebody to pray for Judah, he found no one. Israel received mercy. Judah received judgment. Judgment.
0: God desires mercy. It's who He is. It's what He wants to do. But God has chosen that when He wanted to intervene and change the natural course of events of sin,
1: what did He do? He looked for somebody to pray. Now, I can't explain all that, but I can tell you that prayer is important to God. Prayer will move the hand of God or stay the hand of God. Moses didn't change God's mind. He shared God's mind. And when
0: Moses in his relationship with God and his prayer relationship with God they had the same desires he had Moses had the desires that God really had and so what God is doing here is to be revealing Moses revealing the heart of Moses and so Moses didn't alter God's plan he implemented it i wonder today how many plans are on the shelf Because God has not found somebody to pray to implement the plan
1: that is on his heart. That convicts my heart. Is that what's going on here?
0: Is God looking for somebody to pray? Prayer is the conduit that carries the will and the power of God into earthly circumstances. These can be individual circumstances. They can be community circumstances. They can be national and worldwide circumstances. God is looking for his people. The different outcomes that we see here in Scripture in these two examples, the different outcomes hinged on the availability of intercessors.
1: My question for me and for you is, is God waiting us to embrace his heart,
0: to see his plan, to let him use us, and are we available
1: to pray? Because that's what God has chosen to use, chosen to use us. God
0: is looking for people in whom he can place his own desires. He will give us the desires of our hearts. They will be his desires. That doesn't mean he's going to give us anything and everything we want. Everything's got to fit within this overall plan of redemption and mercy and all of these things that God is wanting to accomplish in the world. So God is looking for hearts where he can place his own desires, and those desires
1: will be prayed back to him. And his redemptive purpose is being accomplished.
0: Prayer is an incredible privilege, but it is also a huge responsibility. It is a walking, talking relationship with Almighty God where prayer changes us, it brings us into sync with God's mind and God's plan and who he is so that we know how, as that member of the team, do our part in running the play that he, the captain, has called. And this is so true in our lives as individuals, in our friends, in our family, in our community, our churches. Uh, As I was studying this, I was thinking about a great song that a friend, Babby Mason, wrote a number of years ago. The chorus is, I'll be standing in the gap for you. Just remember, someone somewhere is praying for you. Calling out your name, praying for your strength. I'll be standing in the gap for you. Are we standing in the gap for each other? As we look at Our country is God looking for somebody to stand in the gap so that He can send mercy, redemption, restoration. Let us be among those because you know what, for whatever reason, God Wants us to pray. God bless you.